Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and in today's episode, I was joined by Natasha Narayan, the CEO and co-founder at Iceberg IQ. Natasha and her team are masters of advising B2B tech companies how to power up their go-to-market strategies through churn and win-loss analysis interviews. In this episode, we specifically got into why churn analysis is so valuable and often overlooked, the differences in the insights you'll uncover when you conduct win-loss analysis and churn analysis, and how to incorporate that into your compete program, the churn trends that Natasha has seen this year, plus she also shares a couple of examples of customers churning to competitors and the reasons why they did so. Also, on a special note, this is the first ever in-person recording of the, of the podcast, and it was recorded at Clue's beautiful downtown Vancouver office. So with that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today I am joined by Natasha Narayan, the CEO and co-founder of Iceberg IQ, a consultancy that helps B2B software companies learn and improve their go-to-market strategies through candid conversations with their customers and prospects. Natasha, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Adam. Nice to be here. Um, I'm really excited about this podcast for a couple of reasons. One, this is the first one I'm doing in person, which is a whole different dynamic to the interview. Um, second, I'm a huge fan of Clues, especially since we're both companies that are in Canada helping the tech community and helping with market intelligence. So so that's really neat. So yeah, thanks again. Yeah, this is officially the first in-person podcast we've done. We're in Clue HQ right now. So listeners, if you hear some like bustling in the background that's just we're moving and shaking here now it's awesome so <laughs> Natasha I understand you've got a long history in enterprise software sales I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about your journey what led you to Iceberg IQ and more about what the company does sure <clears throat> yeah so I started out in sales many years ago actually I was I moved to Australia after high school in the mid 90s and um, I worked at a couple of Apple resellers in sales and then a company by the name of Right Now Technologies was opening an Australian office. So I joined them and I was with them for 10 years, growing the Australian operations in New Zealand. And then they transferred me back to Canada where I grew up um, to help get things going here. And then I was with Gainsight for four years, which many of the listeners I'm sure are aware of. And so I was the first employee of the Gainsight operations in Canada and really grew the business there. So lots of experience from back in the day selling on-prem to the transition to SaaS. Um, really great, you know, fun trips and uh, fun experiences along the way, which I'm happy to share a little bit about. But um, with Iceberg, uh, yeah, so when I was at Gainsight, we used to use a, a firm out of Guelph, Ontario named Eigenworks, and they used to do all of our research for us, all of our win-loss interviews, and provide us with really detailed, insightful feedback from the voice of the customer. And so I was always a big fan of the research, and Alan Armstrong, who was the founder of Eigenworks, so this company had been going for 10 years, he passed away in 2019, and the company was shutting down and that's when I found out about this and then I, I went and I actually reformed we, we formed Iceberg IQ with two of the team members and so three of us are co-founders Julie Payne and Christine Culp and so we've really continued that legacy that Alan started um, doing win-loss and churn intelligence and analysis research for B2B software companies. And that kind of leads us into what we'll be talking about for the majority of this conversation. I know it's going to go down many different avenues, but we wanted to talk about customer churn. Um, I'm excited to talk about this because, first of all, for our podcast itself, I don't think we've ever really touched on it. 
And a huge focus when we talk to product marketers, when I've talked to customers, when they're collecting competitive intel, they're running a competitive program, a huge focus, and rightly so, revolves around win-loss analysis, which is something you do as well. But I think that churn analysis is equally as important and it's often overlooked. Uh, it's often overlooked as like a strong element to your competitive program. So just to kind of kick things off here, why is churn analysis important in your opinion? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly right. So a lot of companies focus on the win-loss, and which is more on the net new side of things. But really, if you look at the extension of the customer journey, the actual customer journey, and then if they leave, that's why you know the churn analysis comes into play. So usually they're relying on the customer success managers to um, provide feedback about what happened when the customer canceled. And that could be as limiting as just a, a code in Salesforce, you know, just a field and a drop down. And so you're really not getting the detailed insight. It's not from the customer's perspective. Um, and the other thing is when you're relying on the CSMs or someone internal, there's this bias about what happened. And there could be um, other agendas or other concerns at play too. So you're not really getting the unvarnished truth, which I think is, uh, you know, the other big reason to do churn analysis. And then at a higher level, sometimes CS leaders don't get a seat at the table. And so it's really important, like they're they're the ones, the CSM departments, the, the customer success departments that are at the front line with the customers and they have all this rich feedback that they're getting about the product or the engagement um, or even the market. And so this gives them an opportunity to give that feedback back. <clears throat> and um, for those that are familiar with customer success, um, if you have uh, an improvement in your retention rates, especially in net retention, that can improve the valuation of the organization quite considerably. So it's no longer just about getting new clients, it's about retaining your existing customers. And so that's another reason why churn analysis is really key. Yeah, and it, again, it's something that's talked about a lot when I've had that conversation with folks around win-loss, is that bias? Is mm-hmm. you, not to, we're not throwing sellers under the bus here, but you can't just take their word for it in every single situation. Um, like you mentioned, is implicit bias. They might not even just, have the right read on why they didn't win or lose. I mean, there's often that pricing reason, which Mm. is easy to say, but maybe there's, if you actually start to dig properly, you'll start to uncover the real reasons and that pricing might've been an easy answer at the time, but there's actual other reasons why, um, why an an alternative was um, why a buyer decided on an alternative product or stayed to the status quo. So how do you treat a churn interview how is it different to a win-loss interview in your mm-hmm. eyes? Yeah, and it's interesting on that point that you just mentioned. I was thinking about an interview even I did last week where they wanted to go with our client, but the engagement, um, the execution from the sales perspective, really, they just, they unfortunately weren't responsive enough. They didn't, they didn't get the sense that the vendor really wanted their business, whereas with the competitors, they really did, and they were super responsive. They brought the right team on every call, and so they're not necessarily going to get that feedback when they have a, a call with the rep. Um, because it's really hard to tell somebody about that. So, so yes, um, when we're interviewing churn versus win-loss, win-loss is more about the evaluation, so leading up to the actual decision, um, who they looked at, what the pros and cons were, what the decision process was. Um, we spend a lot of time upfront understanding what they were actually setting out to achieve and what success criteria they had. Whereas with the churns, we do we do also try to uncover like what the vision was or what they wanted to achieve, but it's much more about the actual experience. So we we work to find out exactly what their journey was like from from signing, like even that handoff from sales to onboarding, and then right through the um, the relationship, whether it be you know a year or multiple years, um, with the adoption phase, where did things start to go wrong? What worked really well? Uh, what was the final straw, really? 
who did they ultimately go to and why? And then, so we're looking for feedback around the engagement, the product, um, the competitors, you know, sometimes there's changes within the organization on the client side and from the vendor side. So all of that we're pulling out during that, during that interview. And, and those insights are differing from win-loss in terms of the, the folks you're talking to now, they've had, there's not just a perception of the value, they've actually had to experience it. They've had whatever is say a year of hands-on with the product, with the services team, with the customer success team. And so it's not just um, perception in that regard, it's actual tangible what they've had as an experience. How do those insights differ that you uncover there? And obviously this is all in regards to kind of informing your go-to-market strategy. And oh, there's a lot of other areas, but for product marketers, focus on competitive intelligence. How do those insights differ, mm -hmm. really? Yeah, so I'd say with the churns, um, <clears throat> we're still able to find out some marketing uh, insights, sales insights if account managers are related as well. Um, but it is more about the actual journey. But I think that that's the key is around that competitive intelligence. Like somebody is trying to win their business while they're in that relationship with you already. And that that those conversations are happening much earlier. So I think that's really key as well. Um, a lot of CS practices will have um, touch points, you know, 90 days before the renewal, 30 days before the renewal. But in fact, what we're finding through our research is that it's really 12 to 18 months before that renewal date that organizations, if, if they start to see that things are going well, they're actively looking for alternatives. So there's feedback that you can get from the churn analysis, such as competitive intelligence, or maybe, maybe if onboarding didn't go well, and that's a trend, then you can um, product marketing can help with sales enablement so that the sales team are, are setting clients up better for success when they're through onboarding through the sales engagement. So that's an example of, um, of the insights. But I would say, yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. It's more about the actual experience versus kind of the perception of what mm -hmm. it might be like. So in terms of getting into how you conduct these interviews, some of the best practices as someone that's done many of these and there's folks that are listening that uh, they might bring on someone externally to do this. They might just start dabbling themselves in doing this in-house. What are some of the best practices for conducting those interviews, launching your churn analysis um, program and how it fits into competitive intelligence too? Mm -hmm. So I think whether it's called a, um, you know, win-loss program, churn analysis, voice of the customer, having something in place that's, that's formalized, I think is really key. I also think it's really important to get leadership involved. Um, we work with a lot of companies that are anywhere from say 20 to 500 million in revenue. We like working with that size of organization because we have access to leadership and we can really make an impact. But where we see it go really well is when the CEO is, is totally engaged with the project because they need to make sure that these insights are actionable. Um, but also there needs to be this culture of transparency and being open to receiving this feedback because sometimes it's really tough to hear and people don't want to feel that sense of being blamed. It's, it's all in the spirit of learning. So I'd say that's that's definitely a thing about getting um, leadership involved, um, streamlining, streamlining the whole process, process. So interviewing the stakeholders up front, really getting a handle on from all the functional leaders on what they want to find out. Mm -hmm. And that way they're engaged so that when you're providing the feedback, it's going back to those, whether it be you know, product, marketing, sales, CS, all of those areas. Um, the recruiting can be a little bit challenging. So mm -hmm. we have a team dedicated to, so we get a list from our clients about in, in churn cases, the last three months is where we're looking for churn examples. We don't really want to interview further back than that because people just forget. But then we run a multi-touch cadence to even secure the interviews. So it's like phone, email, a few days in between. It's almost like an SDR or BDR type role. So you need to make sure that you've got a resource, you know, assigned to that as well. Um, and yeah, I think those are, you know, those are the key ones. So you talked about there 
the buy-in. And like immediately when you mentioned that, you like your eyes up. Like I like it when there's buy-in because we don't have to overcome that obstacle. And same with maybe the cross-functional leadership, what they want. Yes. Have you seen examples where it's difficult to get buy-in, or have you seen examples in your time where it's like maybe there wasn't as much, um, they weren't as receptive, a CEO or the leadership team. Is there ways that you can overcome that? How do you show the value that this is going to be bringing? And like you mentioned, you might be kind of like picking at a scab a little bit when you're、mm-hmm. talking about churn, like. That's people that don't want to leave you, like especially when it's a CEO, it's your baby, the product, or、yeah. the CS team. You might be uncovering some the not so nice things about your company or what you're what you're offering. So, how do you overcome that? Right, and and more often than not, it's it's they recognize like they they want to know what's working well, obviously, so they they know what levers to pull. But really, they want to know what's not working well, like what they need to change, how they can improve their retention rates,、um, how they don't have customers leave completely. We have seen the odd example where、um, maybe maybe a certain leader is a little bit protective about the feedback, and so they're they're looking to us to try to I don't want to say massage it, but tweak it a little bit. Those are the really difficult、mm-hmm. ones because we're there as the voice of the customer and and looking to be impartial. And I think that's the advantage of using an external firm is that when you're doing these presentations, because they might be hearing leadership might be hearing this feedback directly from the reps and the CSMs already, but they've got a, maybe a filter or they it's not directly from the voice of the customer. So I think that's why it's helpful to have someone like us. But I've had situations where I had to call the CEO up front before we delivered the, the findings, the summary, and just give them a heads up and then get some support from. Them and guidance on how best to deliver the message and make sure that they weren't going to be blindsided. So, I think a part of that is you know just the overall account management and client management. And then on the other side of the coin as well, you've got to conduct interviews with churn customers.、Mm-hmm. Um, is that difficult? Is it difficult to get candid answers out of them?、Uh, have you had examples where they're just like reluctant to even take that call with you? Like, how do you approach that? Yeah, so I'd say with churns, we almost have a, as high of a recruitment rate as we do with wins, which is interesting. And I think it's because if they've invested that time with you and made that choice to work with you, just because they've left doesn't mean that they want you to struggle as a business. They they do want that opportunity to provide the feedback of where you could have improved or where things had gone well or fallen over. So、um, we do find that they are pretty candid. We have a whole interview methodology though as well, which really helps. So. It's very much open dialogue. It's a com- it's a business conversation. It's not that we've got a script of a set questions、um, set of questions. So,、um, and we also make sure we're interviewing the decision maker or the key champion, somebody can, that can speak to the whole、um, the whole journey. How so? Getting into interview methodology because I think that、um, I think that's that's key to all of this, right? You need to be able to structure an interview to get the answers that you really want. Um, you mentioned that methodology. How high level? Like, what does that structure look like? How do you approach interviewing a churn client? Yeah, so、um, we think of like the hero's journey or the buyer's journey. It was actually Alan's、uh, one of Alan's legacy、um, things that he created. But we spend time up front really profiling the buyer or the decision maker. So what they were setting out to achieve, how they fit into the organization, any of their background. Um, but then we'll so for churns we're we're mapping out that whole journey. But we use interviewing techniques such as mirroring, playing back,、um, digging deeper,、um, holding space. You know, silence is okay, which sometimes can be really awkward. But we'll allow that space for them to speak. And it's interesting. Like we have a whole team of analysts that then review these reports, review these interviews, and write the reports.、Mm-hmm. If I, we always want to make sure we're getting it from the customer's voice. So if I ask a question and somebody says yes. 
the analyst actually won't use that. They'll only use it if if the customer or the interviewee stated stated a statement or provided a statement or a fact in in their in their voice. So um, asking really good questions, really open-ended questions, is key. At the end of the at the end of the interview, across all of our interviews, we um, we like to test the decision strength. So we'll take what they've told us and then we'll provide a hypothetical situation. Oh, you said that pricing was really key, but you also said this particular feature was important. Like, what if what if pricing was aligned? Would you have still gone forward? Something to just test the decision strength on whether it would have still been the same outcome or not. So yeah, those are some of the examples that we use. And yeah, when you do it, like you mentioned there, it's conversational. So it's not just a prescriptive, here's my list of questions, boom, 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 rapid fire. <laughs> However, for listeners, are there a couple questions or maybe um, topics, I suppose, that you bring up that really start to get the wheels turning and really get the the intel, the information that you're, you're really looking for? Mm. I think with um, churns, it's helpful to ask them about the company background first and then them as an individual before we get into the decision. It gets them, it's almost like an icebreaker. It gets them, it's, they're easy questions. It gets mm-hmm. them talking. Um, they know that that this only shared with the client's leadership team and not shared publicly, which is really key for them as well. Um, we ask really open questions. Like I'll, I'll say, you know, tell me about the onboarding experience or, you know, I'd love to just hear about the journey. Tell me how it all unfolded from then until now and what worked and what didn't along the way. So by doing that, you're inviting them to tell you the story and holding a lot of space for them to speak as opposed to, you know, single pointed questions with responses. And we've, we've, you can already, I'm sure listeners can already tell like churn stories. There's so much information that will come from this. And I think there's value across the board to the organization. You're talking about leadership buying. They want to know what's not working specifically, um, product marketers and CI folks. What are, how does this analysis help inform their role mm-hmm. that you've seen? So I think, um, there's a lot of disruptors in the space and and we work with um, a number of different industries across software from you know cyber to crm to marketing automation you name it and we see a lot of changes even with um, pricing models as an example like maybe what worked with a pricing model for you worked four years ago but maybe now your landscape there's a lot more competitors in your space so that's an example Um, obviously being SaaS, everyone's adding new features and functions every quarter so the landscape's forever changing so that's a good feedback loop for product marketers and and competitive intelligence Um, the tactics that competitors are using to to win your client from you for churn analysis i think is really key but what we're seeing is that it's also the relationship. Companies are going into these relationships knowing that there's going to be problems or challenges, but they want to know that they're going to be supported. And if um, if there's a challenge up front with, with contract negotiations, they're already going to be concerned that when there's a renewal negotiation or upsells that they're potentially going to get um, gouged. And we've had instances where you know a client will recall, I'll, I'll ask, so when, when did things start to go wrong? Like what was, what was a great example of you know where things didn't go well? And, and we had one where uh, just recently they were talking about a conference that they attended. It was the vendor's conference, so they were yeah. a client and they had an issue with the product during this conference and they escalated it, but no one really took it seriously or actually acted on it there. They seemed more interested in, in hosting and, and the party of the conference. And that really left a bad taste in their mouth about how they felt cared for or not cared for as a client. And that was the first step to them leaving. And so we're also finding that, as I mentioned, like these decisions are having months well in advance where there's something and then it's like a trail of events or um, specific instances that lead to the eventual churn. Do you have any conversations in particular that have like really stuck in your mind that surprised you as you start to do this kind of churn analysis and 
specifically, like, yeah, the information you are providing for your product marketers and your, your competitive intelligence leads? Um, I'm trying to think of surprising conversations. Yeah, the ones we talked about, the pricing model. Um, I don't think it's much as a, of a surprise, but I guess just a trend that we're seeing in the industry is that um, customers, when they're starting, they want to know what the engagement is gonna, going to look like for years to come. And so they want those check-in or those quarterly regular calls, whatever the cadence might be, set up front and onboarding. Um, so that's that's an expectation. And they're looking for more product roadmap um, insights as well. And so if there's somehow that you could at least give them a sense of what's coming down the line so they can continually plan for that, I think I think that's really key. Um, I think, I think yeah. that's because you're talking about like it's an investment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like setting the expectations of what you can receive, especially if it's if you're selling or you're a, a buyer and you've just agreed to a hundred k contract. Like that's not that's not small fries. It might be for some of the biggest companies, but like you need to justify that investment to someone else. Mm-hmm. So you need to know that you're going to be supported. And I think like laying that groundwork out is is really important. And being able to stick to it too, I think, is also something that. You can you can kind of sell the world as like we're gonna have these kind of touch points with you, but do they follow through? I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, and also those multi-threaded relationships. So sometimes in the sales process, it might be, you know, sometimes frowned upon if you're going over somebody's head and going directly to the CEO or whatever it might be. But in the customer relationship, we are hearing that executives want that direct access to the VP of product or the direct access to the CEO. They feel that um, that that partnership is really important to them and not just feeling that they're like a customer using using a solution. And I'm actually, during our summit actually, I was listening to this, it's, it's sort of a trend I think I'm hearing more so as well, even on the sales side of things. When you're purchasing as well, you, I mean, when you think of sales, not maybe not anymore, but the, the, you have that stereotypical, like the old car salesman, um, snake oil style, but you, people are looking to buy from someone that's a trusted advisor, someone that's not just pushing something onto them, they're there to help them understand their needs. And I think that's sort of what you're talking about too on the customer success side, which is kind of a given because they're in with your product. They need to be successful. Like you mentioned, retention is critical. Um, but it's also something I think that's important on that sales side too. So it's funny. Yeah, and like I have a long sales background, so I've always been more of a relationship seller. And I think of all the relationships I've built over the years. I've helped my clients get new jobs through contacts that I've had, or I've helped them find new hires in their team if they've been growing. Like doing so much for them outside of just the value that your solution might be offering them is what can really, you know, have that long term relationship. So you've conducted a lot of these churn interviews now. Um, What are some of the trends you see? as well specifically do you see trends as to why a customer goes to a competitor um, I'm sure you work with clients like you mentioned across a lot of different spaces is probably not like a one-size-fits-all answer but maybe some of like a couple of the trends that you're seeing as to reasons why yeah I, um you know I'm thinking about the pricing example again like if there's especially there's been a lot of scrutiny through COVID and if and, and there's, you know, in some spaces, there's vendors that are trying to win a customer over. Um, it could be that it's because of the relationship and them not feeling supported it should, is it why they leave. They might be getting a better price from the competitor, but usually clients know that they can go back to their current vendor and negotiate if it means they're going to leave or not. So I think that's um, that's one of them. Some of the some of the um, the ones that are more successful now are actually introducing post sales into the sales process. 
So they'll introduce the CSM or somebody from onboarding or post-sales into the sales engagement, and it really gives the customers some uh, confidence about what this is going to look like um, and makes it for an easier transition. So sort of like setting expectations, like you mentioned, when they're investing, they want to see what it looks like a year down the road? Yeah, or even just what the project timeline is for just to getting to that first value realization or moment, that MVP, because that's... That's really what they want is like, just get them to that first value moment, whether it be a month or three months to get there. And then they know that they can go beyond. But we see so many implementations fail just just from that alone. Uh, the other thing we're seeing is that decision makers are really informed now. They're no longer just relying on analysts or, um, you know, there's obviously review sites, but especially through COVID as well, uh, there's all these virtual groups or peer groups or Slack communities. And so... We find that even more so than back, more so than references that they're getting from the vendor, they'll back, do background reference checks with their peers to understand what a, what a vendor is going to be looking like. There's definitely this, yeah, a boom in um, smaller niche communities, and it makes sense too. Especially, I think COVID accelerated it, but it's it's just like third party validation. It's almost this is a little meta, but like, why would you bring an outside source to do your trend analysis because they're less biased, whereas if I'm asking for a reference from a vendor, it's like, okay, I get it. I get that there's like some degree of separation, but still they've hand selected that person yeah. to be that source. And um, having that validity through these outside communities actually is a really interesting point. I know even myself, when I've gone through buying cycles for other things, uh, I go to these communities actually mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Another part of this, when I think about from a product marketer side and a CI side is, so you're collecting all of this information that you've just brought up here, but it's putting it into action, putting it into your go-to-market strategy. Have you seen some examples or what what product marketers are doing when they get all of this information? It's like, okay, this is why people are turning. What what are some of the first steps that they should do with that information? Yeah, and I think that's the challenge when you look at even the history of this type of research being win-loss analysis is that was always um, settled in with product marketing or CI and and so siloed in that way, whereas the feedback and the research can benefit across the organization. So I think if product marketers can get buy-in from the CMO, from the CEO, from those other leaders, that's going to be really key. Um, it's, it's a lot of work, right? Like I mentioned, the recruiting, once you have all this unstructured data and all these were interviews, you have to report on them. So having some sort of resource internally or using a firm like us to be able to analyze it all. Um, so we provide a detailed report for every interview and then we roll up the findings across the data set either on a quarterly basis or a one-time basis. So making sure you've got the key leaders in that room for that presentation and that each, each leader knows exactly what's relevant for them from the feedback and then allowing time during that meeting that someone's facilitating from the client side so that all the leaders are in agreement about, okay, out of all of this, what's important for us to action and prioritize so that next quarter when you meet again, you're actually monitoring the, the trends. So. Otherwise, if it's just seen as a CI program, I think it's mm. it's quite limiting, and then you might not get um, the buy-in or even the execution. So I, I think that yeah, I think that it's you know it's a great opportunity when you're talking to your customers. Why not leverage this as much as as much as you can? What I'm hearing from you there is, if someone was starting to take on trend analysis and put it into the compete program, is understanding your stakeholders and what they want before you even start. It's like laying the groundwork of understanding what they want and then feeding them information related to what they want. Totally. Yeah. So interviewing them up front, it might be a little bit of a process to get on everyone's schedules, developing a research brief. So what's your overview? What are the burning questions? What are the hypotheses about um, about what they think might be going on? 
Um, and so that everyone's on the same page about what you're actually trying to achieve out of it. And then that way they're much more um, engaged when you're providing the feedback. What, what are the main teams as well that, um, that you've seen product marketers, CI folks support with this churn analysis information? Yeah, so, so product marketing for sure, sales, customer success, product, um, and then COO sometimes as well. It depends like how they're, whether CS rolls up to um, the head of services or the CEO directly or COO, but I can't think of other than internal teams like engineering and development. I think every every other department that's has something to do with the customer is relevant for the feedback. So everyone, all of the tick, <laughs> yeah. all of the above, the whole gamut. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing because I mean, we when I talk to customers all the time, it's like typically your main um, consumer or stakeholder is sales. Mm -hmm. But there is also an understanding that um, other teams are really important. And not even just leadership, like CS, I think that this churn analysis piece is, we talk a lot about not only providing information from sales, but in order to get buy-in and validity from sales is retrieve the information that they're hearing on the field. There's so much gold that they're hearing. And it feels like this churn analysis is sort of like the similar process, but for the CS team, like they're hearing really important things that should inform your go-to-market strategy, should inform how you compete, it should inform how you sell. Yeah. And it feels like it's almost like a mirror image, but like that relationship with um, CS isn't quite as looked at as important, maybe. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just Yeah, I don't think there's been the direct, I think this is a great example of why that connection is, is needed. And I just, I haven't seen it personally. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes our, our meetings with our client when we do these QBRs are one of the few times that they're all collectively in a room talking talking about this. Why do you think it is? Um, You've been in sales a long time. Yeah, um, I think because, you know, product marketer, they're usually more about the pricing, the packaging, the sales enablement. I mean, that's been historically their focus is that's that's their mandate, whereas CS has really only been like burgeoning over the last maybe five years or so. So I think it's just a bit of an untapped, untapped function of the department. I mean, yeah, that's, it speaks to the importance of enabling not just yeah sales, but also all revenue teams. And um, I mean, we're we're always talking about for a product marketer, CFO, like where can you the, some of the best information is internal, mm -hmm. and what teams can you tap into? What teams can you unlock to get the information that feedback loop um, that's going to help everyone and and help the business in the long run, also help the product marketers. So I guess, yeah, for any listener for any listener as well, we talked about kind of like setting those expectations. Are there any other pieces of advice you'd give them when they're starting out on this kind of churn analysis process? Yeah, I would say um, getting support internally would be a big one. Uh, having conversations with other organizations who've, who've run a program like this, and we're happy to facilitate any of those conversations or make any introductions. Developing that brief, as I mentioned, um, about what you're looking to achieve and that would also serve as the interview guide making sure as you identify your interviewers maybe they are a csm but i wouldn't have the csm on that account to do the interview but helping them like upskilling them on some interview skills um and just just starting you know just just getting started just get, just get started <laughs> um is there anything else you'd like to add as well when you think about this process for for someone that's probably new they they understand win loss they probably see the value in win loss and but this is, is newer to them, is it? Yeah, I think, uh, well, we have some good resources on our website, actually, on icebergiq.com. Uh, there's some webinars there and some podcast interviews about, even, even we have one for how CSMs can be better interviewers and be better listeners. So maybe that's a starting point. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Adam. I really had a lot of fun. Appreciated the opportunity. 
I mean, is there anywhere else people can find you, contact you as well? <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. So Iceberg IQ is the company name, Natasha Narayan. So it's Natasha at IcebergIQ.com. Uh, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn or our website. I'm happy to chat. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me, Thank Natasha. You. And we'll catch everyone next week.